Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez responds to my invitation to discuss and debate. It doesn't go well. President Trump announces Space Force and we'll check the mailbag. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, it was a busy day yesterday and we have a lot to get to today, so we'll jump right into it in just a second. First, I want to remind you that you need to be constantly updating your resume. You need to be constantly adding new skills to your package of skills that you can then market to your employers. And that is why there is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, design, technology, and more. You can take classes in everything from illustration to data science, from mobile photography to creative writing. You name it, they've got experts teaching it to you. These are 45-minute classes taught by people who know what they are doing. Whether you're trying to deepen your professional skill set or start a side hustle or just explore a new passion, that's what Skillshare is there to do. We here at the office have taken a bunch of Skillshare classes. I've taken ones in social media marketing and watercolors, believe it or not. They've got classes on legitimately everything, and they are taught by people who really know what they are doing. Go check it out right now. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Ben Shapiro Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com Shapiro. Again, that's Skillshare.com Shapiro to start your two months right now. That's Skillshare.com Shapiro. Go check it out right now. It's the best way in the really on the internet. To, to make your skill set better, Skillshare.com. Use that slash Shapiro and get two months for just 99 cents. Okay, so as you know, over the last couple of days, I've been offering Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic darling, the future of the Democratic Party, according to Tom Perez, the media hit, media sensation. I've offered her to come on the Sunday special and have a one-hour discussion. I offered to have a debate with her. I offered to give $10,000 to her campaign. Obviously, that was somewhat facetious considering that I think, what's the election limit? Like 7,500 bucks, something like that. In any case, I'm not looking to violate the law. I also offered to give that money to charity or to raise money to charity. And she didn't respond, which is her prerogative. She doesn't have to respond. Right? I mean, that's, that's her thing. Fine. Yeah, and she had essentially called Allie Stuckey and a bunch of conservatives cowards for not wanting to have discussions with her and instead creating satire of her. So I figured, okay, we'll open her an open forum for her to come on the Sunday special. And I'll legitimately have anyone from the left on the Sunday special. One of the funniest things about this is that after, after I offered Ocasio-Cortez to come on the show, a bunch of leftists who are pretty prominent started emailing me saying, well, why don't you invite me? And I was like, okay, fine. That's great. Like I'd, I'd prefer to have more people on the Sunday special with whom I can have intelligent conversations from the left. Like, let's talk about Norway. Let's talk about Denmark. Let's talk about socialism. Let's talk about what's socialist and what isn't. Let's do all those things. I don't care. Like, that's, that's what I thought this whole debate, this whole area of American life was supposed to be about. I enjoy those conversations. Well, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez took this the wrong way. She took this the wrong way. And instead, here is what she tweeted out in response to my invitation. Quote, just like catcalling, I don't owe a response to unsolicited requests from men with bad intentions. And also like catcalling, for some reason, they feel entitled to one. Well, I didn't feel entitled to response. You don't have to respond. We can write about it if you don't respond, considering that you've called a bunch of people on the right cowards for not supposedly taking on your ideas. But I'm very confused as to what catcalling is like in Queens. I just want to like hone in on this for just a second. How does this go in Queens? Is this really like construction worker in, in Queens? Like, hey, girl, let's have a one-hour conversation on trade policy deficits and fiscal responsibility in Nordic nations, baby. Come on. Come on down to have a public conversation. And I'll give you $10,000 to your favorite charity if we can have a public debate on why neo-Marxist thought lacks as compared to the Vienna School of Economics. Hmm? That's how it goes in Queens. Cat calling's real weird in Queens. Gotta tell you. But I do love the fact that 
her, like, there are so many responses she could have given that are better than this. I mean, not to advise her political team, but there are a lot of things you could have done here. You could have just said, nah, not interested. Or, you know what? You're not running for office. I'm not going to debate with somebody who's not running for office. Or, you know, there are better interviews that I can do that reach out to my core constituency. There are like a thousand better responses than this is just like catcalling. Also, have you met me? Have you seen me? Do I seem like the kind of guy who catcalls ladies? I'm an Orthodox Jew who was a virgin until I was married. I've never catcalled anyone in any context ever. Legitimately, my catcalls to my wife involve me like yesterday. I catcalled my wife. I will admit, I catcalled my wife yesterday. We were driving and we happened to be next to each other in our cars and she rolled down her window and I whistled at her. She took, she took deep offense at this. We are now getting divorced because of catcalling. But like, what? Like this is, this is what catcalling is now. So I do love the fact that the entire left resonated to this. So the entire left decided that she is a heroine for playing victim, for having someone request a discussion or debate with her. And again, the discussions we do on the Sunday special, the reason I offered either a discussion or a debate is because these are two separate things, right? We can have a full-on moderated debate like I did with Chank Iger. We can have a full-on moderated debate like I've done multiple times all across the country with various people on the other side. Or we can have an open discussion, which I've also done, right? We had Sam Harris, who's a who's an militant atheist. I disagree with him on a lot of things. We had him on for an hour. We had Eric Weinstein on. Eric is a, a dude who is of the left when it comes to economics. We had him on for a full hour and just discussed this stuff. I'm fully willing to go back and forth. So if she just wanted to come on and have like a cordial conversation that was unmoderated and I would just ask her questions and let her talk, that's what the Sunday special is. So I offered both that, but the, the entire left responded as though I had done something deeply, deeply wrong. Right? How dare I offer to give money to a charity or to her campaign in order to incentivize her to have a conversation about economics. It's just like catcalling. It's just like sexism. It is amazing how fast they run to their intersectional cubby holes when things get a little bit, a little bit dicey. Oh, well, he must be doing that because she's a woman. Are you kidding me? How many times on this program have I suggested that I would debate Bernie Sanders anywhere, anytime? I've done it so many times I can't even tell you. Right? Like, I'm, I've said I would like to debate Elizabeth Warren. I've said I would like to debate Bernie Sanders. I've said I would like to debate Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. I'm happily willing to discuss with a variety of folks who are on the other side of the aisle. Like, and this is, I've always been like this, right? I just enjoy doing this stuff. I got a law school recommendation when I was at Harvard. I got a law school recommendation from Melanie Guinier. Melanie Guinier was one of my professors there. She is a socialist. She's a Green Party socialist. Lonnie Guinier is so far to the left that when Bill Clinton tried to appoint her undersecretary of labor in his administration, a Democratic Senate turned her down. She's that far to the left. The difference is Lonnie actually likes talking about issues. Professor Guinier had a good time with me in the class, but apparently this is forbidden now. If you ask anybody who doesn't want to debate to debate and it happens to be a woman, then it's, it's sexist catcalling. Again, catcalling is real weird over in Queens. I just I don't understand it. Also, I like the fact that she puts all this emphasis on he's a man with bad intentions. What, what are my bad intentions exactly? To make you look dumb? Well, only you can make you look dumb. They really, only you, we, we can do it live. Only you can make yourself look bad in a political debate. Plus, it wouldn't matter anyway. Let's be real about this. If she did a debate with me, the entire left would declare she won no matter what she did. It doesn't matter anyway. Okay, but it, I'm a man with bad intentions. First of all, how dare she assume my gender? Second of all, like, Really? I have bad intentions? Yes. The, yes. The cleanest cut guy when it comes to sexual relations in all of human history 
You know, it, yes, that, that, clearly you've, you've nailed it. You've nailed it. So here was my response on Twitter. So I responded this way. Discussion and debate are not bad intentions. Slandering someone as a sexist catcaller without reason or evidence does demonstrate both cowardice and bad intent, however, which seems mild to me. It seems like a mild response. And then I followed that up with this. Said, but sure, go with the Orthodox Jew who has never catcalled a woman in his life is actually a sexist catcaller for asking for a discussion or debate. I'm sure your media sycophants will eat it up. And eat it up they did because the crown must be protected. Protect Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez from her own incapacity to actually hold a conversation with somebody on the other side. She can barely hold a conversation, apparently, with Chris Cuomo. I mean, she, she literally suggested a day and a half ago that Medicare would pay for people's funerals or something. And she, she was unable to answer a basic question about how she'd pay for her agenda on Pod Save America. So I'm, I can't say I'm supremely surprised about all of this, but the left's attempt to defend her is truly astonishing. So Vox is writing something about this. And I'm the bad guy, right, for having requested the debate or the discussion. I'm the bad guy. And obviously, I'm the bad guy because I offered $10,000 in violation of campaign finance law. Yeah, guys, that's right. I'm going to go to jail to debate Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. That's my thing. I'm desperate to give above the legal limit to a democratic socialist. Or alternatively, I just named a figure that was at the top of my head without thinking about campaign finance law. You decide which one. You decide. I will also note, it's, it's just, it's so funny. I explicit, again, I explicitly offered her to come on a discussion type forum or to do a public debate type forum. And this was the worst thing in the world. And folks on the left were like, why would you possibly offer her that? Because I offer everyone that. Okay, somebody from Vox wrote me and they were like, why would you offer her that? I don't know because I've offered Ezra Klein to come on the show, right? The head of Vox. I've offered Jane Kostin with whom I am friends and who is very much on the left when it comes to a wide variety of issues. She's sort of libertarian on social issues, but she's more and some economic issues, but she's sort of more to the left. She's a left-leaning libertarian, I think it would be fair to say. I've offered her to come on the show, right? I, I don't care. I, I like having people who, who don't share my viewpoint so that we can at least clarify what we think about various issues and offer data to support those various positions. Why would I, and, and they're asking, like, why would you invite her? She's just a candidate from Queens. Yeah, right, guys. That's, I'm inviting her because I invite every candidate from Queens. I invited her because you called her the future of your party. I invited her because you're the ones who suggested that she was the wave of the Democratic Party. She was going to be the new leader in the Democratic Party. I didn't appoint her. You did. That makes her a prominent figure in American politics on the cover of magazines for winning 17,000 votes in a primary. You elevated her. So is it weird that I would want to have her on? Look, I wouldn't want to have on some obscure senator from Vermont either, except the Democrats decided to make him a thought leader after him spending his entire life doing nothing of use. The only reason I'd want to debate Bernie Sanders is because you guys made him famous. So it's all, it's all very, very weird. She's also never had a cross-partisan discussion, which I thought might be useful, but apparently we are not, we are not going to do that. So that's, that's just spectacular. Uh, again, the intersectional response is pretty amazing. I'll show you how the media responded to all of this in just a second because it is perfectly predictable, perfectly predictable. But first, let's talk about your impending death. The fact is, you're going to plot. When you do plot, you want to make sure that your funeral is actually paid for, not by Medicare. You want to make sure that your family actually has the money that it needs if, God forbid, something should happen to you. And that's why you need Policy Genius. Life insurance is really important. It's also pretty confusing, which is why four out of 10 people don't have it. Probably, or at least possibly, you're one of those people. But if anything were to happen, you need a life insurance policy. And the best place to work 
through that whole situation is policygenius.com. It's the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. And when you compare quotes, you save money. It is indeed that simple. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance. They've placed over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance and renter's insurance and health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. So if you've been putting off getting life insurance, there's no reason to put it off any longer. Go to policygenius.com. Get some quotes, apply in minutes. It's that easy. You could do it right now, and you should because rates are their lowest in 20 years. Policy Genius, it's the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Go check it out, policygenius.com. Okay, so here's how the media responded to this suggestion that I am somehow analogous to a sexist catcaller. By the way, isn't that sort of demeaning to women who have actually been catcalled in sexist fashion? Like a, a woman who gets whistled on the street or some guy says something vulgar to her on the street, that's the same thing as somebody saying, why don't we have a moderated debate or a discussion about the basic principles of economics. Exactly the same thing. Jeet here, who legitimately has his head so far up his tuchus that he can now see his colon, he tweeted out, AOC, that'd be Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, is really good at responding to bad faith right-wing rhetoric. It's something I hope other Dems can learn from. Okay, I'd just like to point out this term bad faith. So folks on the left, if they don't want to do something, they immediately just throw out that term bad faith as though sincerity is a measure of quality. As though if you're really sincere about something, it means more than if it's bad faith. So in other words, they said this about Sarah Zhang. They said that people who are upset about Sarah Zhang, they were upset about her in bad faith. You know, as opposed to when people are truly upset about, say, Kevin Williamson. That wasn't bad faith opposition to Kevin Williamson. That was sincere opposition to Kevin Williamson. But all the people pointing out the double standard, that was bad faith. Okay. It's pretty easy to sling around accusations like bad faith and throw intent into the mix. Here's my rule about debate. If you cannot win on the facts, you win on the intent, right? And this is what the left does so frequently, and I find it highly irritating, highly annoying. The suggestion is that it is a bad faith effort to have a discussion if you just don't want to debate. Because if you assume that my intents are good, my intention is good, then you might have to treat me like a human being, right? This is exactly what happened with the Mark Duplass scenario, that director, actor who tweeted out that I was a, a good person or a nice guy who had good intentions. Right? And the entire left went nuts because I can't have good intentions. I'm a bad guy. So this is how the left responds to this. They have to somehow defend the idiocy of suggesting that a debate invitation is now the same thing as catcalling. So it's that my, I, I'm, I have bad faith. Margaret Sullivan, who's the media columnist for the Washington Post, tweets out, preach, Ocasio-Cortez, right? Ocasio 2018, preach. She's the media columnist for the Washington Post encouraging a politician to turn down an interview with a media member because she likes the politician. She's the media columnist encouraging this. Somehow, I highly, highly doubt that were the politics reversed, Margaret Sullivan would be saying preach. That if, for example, Cenk Iger uh, or, or somebody on MSNBC, right, Chris Hayes, invited on Sarah Palin, and Sarah Palin said, this is just like catcalling, I really, really doubt that Margaret Sullivan would be saying, preach it, just preach it. And then there's Dan Errol, who's, a, who's just a uh, socialist dolt, he says, also a good rule not to debate fascists, just destroy them. What is that supposed to mean? Like, uh, first of all, I'm the fascist. You know, the guy who calls for almost zero government intervention in anything. I'm the fascist. But you shouldn't debate them. You shouldn't have a conversation. Uh, the genius. Don Moynihan uh, is another one of these folks. Uh, he's a writer for some obscure publication. Uh, he says, the debate is officially over and we have a winner. Oh, Good, so just shouting sexist at the ceiling is, makes you a winner. That's, that's terrific. That's terrific. So as I suggested, shouting sexist at the moon when you all sorts of accolades on the left, and this is why the left is a giant fail. This is why the radical left that has been sucked into intersectionality 
they're failing with the American people. They're failing with the American people specifically because they won't even have conversations. If I'm outside the Overton window, pretty much everyone is like name somebody on the right that you think Ocasio-Cortez should have a conversation with other than David Frum, Max Boot or Anna Navarro. None of the three are actually on the right at this point. Name one person. The answer is the left can't. The left can't. Okay. Meanwhile, the president of the United States has announced Space Force. So everybody is very excited because of Space Force. And it's easy to mock Space Force because of the name of it, right? As opposed to, as opposed to you know, the, the Space Defense Agency or something. Calling it Space Force sounds a lot like it's a, a sci-fi. Uh, it's like Air Force, but Space Force. But it, it sounds more like a sci-fi video game than anything else. But do we need something like this? Yeah. So Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, he announced what Space Force would be yesterday. As President Trump has said in his words, it is not enough to merely have an American presence in space. We must have American dominance in space. And so we will. And that's precisely why we're beginning the process of establishing the Space Force as the sixth branch of our armed forces. Just as in the past, when we created the Air Force, establishing the Space Force is an idea whose time has come. Okay, so he's right about all of this. Right. This is also this is also very good stuff. And President Trump, of course, in his own inimitable style, tweeted this out. He tweeted out Space Force all the way. Space Force all the way. OK, so you got to love that. I mean, just because the wild enthusiasm is, is always delicious. Noah Rothman, who is certainly no friend to the Trump administration uh, or to President Trump, he has an entire piece talking about why this is useful. He says, though you would not know it from those who spent the day chuckling to themselves over the prospect of an American space command, the militarization of this strategically vital region is decades old. Thousands of both civilian and military communications and navigation satellites operate in Earth orbit to say nothing of the occasional human. It's impossible to say how many weapons are already stationed in orbit because many of these platforms are dual use, meaning they could be transformed into kill vehicles at a moment's notice. American military planners have been preoccupied with the preservation of critical U.S. communications infrastructure in space since at least 2007, when China stunned observers by launching a missile that intercepted and destroyed a satellite, creating thousands of pieces of debris hurtling around the Earth at speeds faster than any bullet. America's chief strategic competitors, Russia and China, rogue actors like Iran and North Korea, are all committed to developing the capability to target America's command and control infrastructure, a lot of which is space-based. Trump's director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, testified in 2017 that both Moscow and Beijing are considered attacks against satellite systems as part of their future warfare doctrine and are developing the requisite anti-satellite technology. Those who oppose the creation of a space branch object on a variety of grounds, some of them merit more attention than others. The contention that a sixth military branch is a redundant waste of taxpayer money is a more salient criticism than cynical claims that Trump is interested only in a glory project. Secretary of Defense Mattis says that we do require some sort of extension into space, although he opposes the creation of a new, of a new military service. But this idea that we don't need any sort of encroachment into space is obviously silly, but that's not going to stop people on the left from mocking President Trump over all this. So Stephen Colbert decides to mock Space Force because Trump is doing it. If it were Obama, then it would be a forward-thinking project, obviously. Go give the Astro Kaiser hell. <laughs> because tonight there's big news about Space Force! <laughs> Longtime viewers of the Trump administration will remember that Space Force is the president's boldest idea that he got from a Buzz Lightyear Happy Meal toy. We already have NASA! We don't need Space Force. Please wait until NASA finds life before you try to kill it. Okay, today, so th th okay, so that's silly. Obviously, the point of Space Force is to defend us from all sorts of threats 
foreign and domestic that could use space as a sort of platform for it. But it's, it's easy to mock Space Force again because of the name. And it's just demonstrative of the fact that anything Trump does is going to be seen as terrible and horrible in every particular way. That's just something that he is, he is you know, fond of, of pushing Colbert. And you, you see the same thing from Scott Kelly, who uh, is a former astronaut. Uh, and he, he also suggests that Space Force is, is a bad idea. I don't know a lot about the uh, the president's motivations on this. Um, there don't doesn't seem to be a lot of support out there. Um, and being a person that spent 25 years in the military, 20 of it at NASA, I never heard people really talking about a need for a sixth branch of the armed forces. Okay, so you know, again, if the argument is sort of bureaucratic redundancy, that's at least a better argument. But if the argument is we don't need anything in space because Trump then it just demonstrates full scale how many folks on the left seem obsessed with, with smacking Trump no matter what the cost. And it doesn't matter whether we are more or less secure because of, of any of that stuff. Because we do, in fact, need some sort of military presence in space. This is nothing new. We, we've been pursuing this for quite a while. Okay, in just a second, I want to talk about the left's sudden obsession with white nationalism. First, let's talk about what you're eating. So you're at home and you're thinking, I can order out. Sure, you can. It'll be expensive, and it probably won't be all that healthy, sometimes not even that great tasting. Or you could have the, you go to the grocery store, pick up all the ingredients, try to figure out a recipe, and that'll take you forever. Or the best option is that you go over to Blue Apron and you subscribe. The reason the Blue Apron is great is because they provide you quick and easy recipe options, perfectly portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. So they give you the recipe, they give you the, everything is, is pre-selected for you, and then you basically just cook according to their specifications, and you've made gourmet meals. They make dinner quick, easy, and insanely tasty. You skip meal planning, get straight to cooking with Blue Apron. Experience the joy of summer with their favorite grilling recipes. They've got seasonally inspired ingredients, mouth-watering grilling options for summer, chicken with barbecue sauce, and juicy cheeseburgers with spicy slaw. Check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com Shapiro. That's blueapron.com Shapiro to get those first three meals for free. Blue Apron is indeed a better way to cook. And I mean, th these meals look fantastic. I mean, it's like seared chicken and tangy barbecue sauce. And this stuff looks like you got it at a restaurant, but you're making it with your family. It's a blast and it isn't that expensive and it's great. Go check it out. Blueapron.com Shapiro to get those first three meals for free. Blueapron.com Shapiro. Okay, so... Something I've noticed over the past few days is the media is suddenly obsessed with white nationalism again. Now, the reason for that is because there's going to be another Unite the Right rally, which is basically a white supremacist rally led by idiots like Jason Kessler, who are intent on saving the country for the white people. Okay, now this sort of stupidity is indeed the highest form of stupidity. It's amazing that all of the people who are constantly talking about how white people are somehow supreme are the dumbest people on planet Earth. Like, it is, it is amazing to, to see the, the crossover between stupid people and white nationalism. Um, but in any case, the media have decided to provide outsized detention for this group of people. Why? Because they want to suggest that President Trump is the great emboldener of these folks. Now, has President Trump emboldened these groups, these alt-right groups in the past? He did so in the 2016 campaign. I was extraordinarily critical of him at that time. He did so, I think, in Charlottesville. I was extraordinarily critical of him at the time. However, why is the media now attempting to elevate a bunch of kooks and fringe kooks who have no real relevance to American politics to a position of prominence? The answer is because they would like to paint with a broad brush and suggest that deep down, most Trump supporters are just like the neo-Nazis who happen to be open enough with their perspective. The reason I say this is because I was at the gym yesterday and CNN was on the TVs, unfortunately, and they were showing a, a full like five, six minute clip of this one, literally one neo-Nazi in a random town in Pennsylvania. 
It's a town of like 650 people, and there's one neo-Nazi guy there. And they did like a six-minute story on this guy because he says he likes Trump, and he flies a swastika over his house. And my question is, you know how many insane people there are in the United States? You know how many crazy people who believe crazy things there are in the United States? I don't remember the media being intent on tracking down members of the new Black Panthers and asking them on national television what they thought of Barack Obama and whether they felt emboldened by the Obama administration or the Holder DOJ. I don't remember that at all. But they're doing this now on CNN, like devoting full minutes of time to people who are obviously insane. Here is what it, it sounded like on CNN yesterday. Are you a neo-Nazi? Do I embrace it? Um, I, I don't try to push it away. Well, you're wearing a swastika on your shirt. Exactly. Rural America spoke up when they elected Trump. Rural America. And by rural America, he means white America. We're staring down the barrel of a gun here in white America. Okay, and then what's, what's hilarious about this is that the, the interviewer says, you know, and then at a certain point, he became unfriendly and started screaming at people. And I was like, right, because he's a crazy person. He's a crazy person. So you went out in the middle of nowhere, you found a crazy person, and then you said, this guy is somehow representative of a broad swath of public opinion. And we're seeing this more and more. Like NPR did a full interview with Jason Kessler, again, at Unite the Right. And Jason Kessler, you know, was giving his listing of IQ studies on, on various races. Now, you know, discussion of race and IQ is always very fraught, but it is particularly fraught when you're talking about white nationalists who are using a claim of, of race superiority in order to suggest that we ought not allow legal immigrants into the country or that we ought to discriminate against particular groups in the United States. It's really gross. And the fact that these people are being elevated is indeed, I think, a purposeful project of a lot of people in the media, particularly. And so they have on Jason Kessler for like an hour. The re now, people on the left were like, why are you having on Jason Kessler? You're just elevating his view. The reason NPR is having on Jason Kessler is to suggest that Jason Kessler, again, is representative of a broad swath of public opinion when no one knew who Jason Kessler was until five minutes ago. And that's because the media decided to cover him in, in outside stretches. It's pretty astonishing. The, the level of double standard in the media when it comes to covering this kind of stuff is pretty insane. The best example of that that I can think of happened actually yesterday. So yesterday, there was a, a story from the New York Times. There's a writer named Elizabeth Williamson. She's a features writer over the New York Times. And she tweeted out an article from New York Times writer Brett Stevens about Sarah Zhang. You remember Sarah Zhang over the past couple of weeks joined the New York Times editorial board. And then it turns out she has dozens of anti-white tweets that have been put out over the course of years. And this writer tweeted out, welcome Sarah to the Times. I look forward to reading you with interest, irrespective of agreement. I trust you'll extend the same good faith to all of your new colleagues. Only through such faith do the people, institutions, and nations thrive. That's Stevens's op-ed. And here is what she tweeted. She tweeted, here's Brett Stevens offering a classy welcome to a colleague who has yet to prove she deserves one. Okay, which seems fairly reasonable. She was forced to apologize for that. So we now live in a universe where actual anti-white racist tweets from Sarah Zhang are defended by the mainstream media. At the same time, they elevate actual racists, you know, white supremacists, in order to proclaim that's the right. But the left that's defending anti-white racism is not racist in any way. And they forced this lady to apologize for tweeting something mild. So Sarah Zhang still has not issued a real public apology for any of this stuff. She kind of gave a half-hearted apology saying she was taken out of context and all this, this sort of nonsense, which she pretty much was not. And yet, th who was forced to apologize? Well, Elizabeth Williamson, this features writer, was forced to apologize because, of course, Elizabeth Williamson is the bad guy. Elizabeth Williamson is the bad guy for having suggested that Sarah Zhang uh, has, has failed to live up to her, her own standards with regard to racism. And people wonder why we don't take the media seriously enough. This is the reason why we don't take the media seriously enough. This is the reason why we don't take the media seriously enough. So there is that. It's just, 
it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Okay, so I want to get to the mailbag. Uh, and uh, we will do so in just a second. First, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You get the rest of the Michael Moles show live. You get the rest of the Andrew Clavin show live. You also get to be part of our mailbag, which we are doing right now. So if you subscribe now, you get to ask me live questions in the mailbag. I feel that you will enjoy this experience. Also, with an annual subscription, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels. $99, you get the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler that comes along with all of the wonders of the universe. So go check that out. Also, when you subscribe at YouTube or iTunes, then you get access to our Sunday special where we have on a wide variety of guests, sadly not including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but everyone else will come on and we'll have great discussions about a variety of issues, give you more information and more data. It's a lot of fun. Go check it out. Please subscribe. We always appreciate it. We're the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. All right, so let's jump into the mailbag. Let's do an extra extra large segment of the mailbag today. So a guy who calls himself Jason Kessler writes, Dear Mr. Shapiro, I'm asking this question since you were a lawyer. Today, another major march in Charlottesville is taking place, led by the notorious Jason Kessler. I live 15 minutes outside the city, and my name also happens to be Jason Kessler. My brother has a very difficult time at work as his coworkers refuse to believe that the man is not his brother, and I've dealt with a lot of whispers and questions around my own job because of this. Do you think as a lawyer I have a path to legal action against this absolute piece of human garbage? People have confused me with him for almost 15 years. It was just as bad when he was writing articles in the Daily Progress demanding universal health care. I didn't like pro-Obama, pro-socialism, Jason Kessler. I certainly don't like the swing to Hitler, Jason Kessler. You don't have a legal case, unfortunately, against a dude for his name. Uh, that, that's just, it's really unfortunate. There are a lot of people who, uh, there was a commercial at one point uh, where a, a guy would go out and like meet Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan was just some guy who was living in the middle of Ohio. Uh, for, for a long time, you could actually... Did, I remember there was a, a guy who went out and got blurbs on the back of his books from various characters who had the same names as famous people. So they'd go out and find some guy named Warren Buffett who was actually just in a trailer park in, in Indiana. And then they'd get him to endorse the book. And then they'd say Warren Buffett had endorsed the book. <laughs> so unfortunately, crossover when it comes to naming is nothing you can do anything about legally. Uh, and that's just, that's sad. Uh, Max says, hello, Ben. What are your thoughts on Benjamin Powell's and other economists' thoughts that open borders would lead to a 150% growth in GDP. If that's true, don't you think that would offset any other problems that could arise with mass immigration? Thank you. Love the show. Well, I do think that you would see a rise in GDP if you were economically free. Free movement of labor and free movement of people is good for economies because you can get lower priced labor, because you get better skills, uh, because free markets make things cheaper and better at the same time. Uh, now, are there other countervailing concerns we have to worry about? Sure, we have to worry about safety concerns when it comes to free movement of labor. Just because people are moving across borders doesn't mean they should necessarily vote in our elections. This is why guest worker programs I don't really have a problem with. There are a lot of folks who are deeply afraid of bringing labor into the United States, guest worker programs and such people with green cards. I've always been a big advocate of free movement of labor across borders. Uh, that is not the same thing as free movement of, of people without checking their security backgrounds. And there are a lot of folks who are scared that if you are actually opening your borders with regard to labor, that's going to throw Americans out of jobs. The answer to that is if you are not competitive on the global labor scale, you're probably going to be out of a job anyway as corporations move out overseas in order to accommodate cheaper labor uh, and cheaper wages overseas as well. This is why there's been an attempt to sort of claw back revenue from those companies and punish those companies for, for offshoring. But the reality is that so long as America remains a free and open economy, there will be a lot of investment. I agree that free movement of labor increases GDP. Uh, and also, I don't believe that if you come here to work, you should be on welfare. Right? If you're coming here to work, then you should be here to work. You shouldn't be on our welfare system that is a drain on public resources 
to which presumably you are in many ways not paying in except for maybe sales tax. Now, Christopher says, hey, Ben, what is the difference between liberty and a right to privacy? Would this be similar to the concept that governments protect liberty, but your community controls what you do in private? Well, liberty does have a, a certain element of a right to privacy. The problem is the right to privacy has been misdefined by the courts to mean pretty much anything they want it to mean. So you have a right to privacy, and that means that you can do an inherently non-private act, driving to a doctor and having a medical procedure done. That is inherently not an act in accordance with privacy. However, liberty does mean that you get to do what you want so long as you're not hurting another person. Right? So long as you're not hurting anyone else, you get to wave your fist around. That, to me, is the basic definition of liberty. That, of course, is not my definition. That's John Stuart Mill's definition of liberty. And I think that that is essentially correct when it comes to government intervention. Now, how should you use liberty? You should use liberty to cultivate your own virtue, to cultivate reason, to cultivate good argumentation. The invasion of people's liberty on behalf of the great collective is a tremendous danger. It's a tremendous danger. And people who cite you know, the Nordic countries invading liberty in order to provide social safety nets, this is not to say that you can't do that. It is to say that that is, in fact, an invasion of liberty, that taking my money to redistribute it to someone else is an invasion of my rights. But it's the misdefinition of right to privacy that I find problematic. Very often when we have these discussions, the unfortunate thing is that there, there are folks who, who will vaguely define a term and then ask you whether you agree with it. They'll say, do you believe in the right to privacy? And you're like, yeah, I kind of like the right to privacy. And they're like, well, I mean abortion. Say, well, that's not what I meant. You kind of have to define your terms before you have these discussions. And Cody says, hi, Ben. I just want to start by saying I'm a huge fan of you and your show. I have a friend named London who's also a big fan. Say hi to him for me, who I have interesting discussions with about Israel and Palestine. We are both pro-Israel, but he feels Israel has committed some serious, unjustified atrocities against the Palestinians, such as the Palestinian exodus of 1948. I feel this particular atrocity is misrepresentative, but we would like to hear your opinion on it. In addition to that, do you feel Israel has committed any atrocities against the Palestinians that were unjustified? If so, has Israel made up for it or at least attempted to make up for it in any way? Thanks, Cody. So, sure. I mean, in any war, there are atrocities. Deir Yassin is obviously the, the most obvious example of an atrocity that happened during the 1948 war for independence. But the idea that Israel forcibly expelled hundreds of thousands of Palestinians is simply not true. Uh, what happened is that there was an invasion by Jordan, by Egypt, by Syria in 1948, uh, in Saudi Arabia as well. And imams were literally preaching over the radio, like leaders were preaching over the radio that, that Arabs should get out of the way of the onrushing Arab troops, that they wouldn't be hurt. Uh, and Israel was begging people, dropping leaflets, asking people to stay, right? The Declaration of Independence for Israel explicitly asks the Arab populations that are living in the area to stay within Israel. Uh, and obviously, a lot of those people fled. It is, it is fascinating to note that at the same exact time that hundreds of thousands of Palestinians left this area because Arab countries were asking them to leave the area, and there are a bunch of great books on this, uh, that at the exact same time, hundreds of thousands of Jews were expelled, forcibly expelled from countries all around the Middle East. Israel took all of them in, and they became citizens. None of the Palestinians who were, quote unquote, expelled, but many of whom actually fled, a huge percentage of whom actually fled, none of them were made citizens of these Arab countries. Instead, they were kept in refugee camps for use in public relations against, as a club against Israel. Uh, there's a great book called From Time Immemorial by Joan Peters specifically about this issue. It's like a 450-page, heavily researched tome on this particular issue. Tim says, hey, Ben, huge, huge fan of the show. In the past couple of months, I've been taking steps toward preparing to propose to my girlfriend, asking her parents, buying the ring, etc., while it's a very exciting time, and I have no doubts about taking that step, this pro prospect of marriage remains a welcome but daunting challenge. As a young aspiring medical professional, I also know there will be challenges allotting time and efforts efficiently to both succeed in my career and love my future wife as she deserves. I know your wife is a doctor. You're obviously a lawyer. So I know you've already walked this kind of path in many ways. Any advice for a young man seeking to excel both maritally and professionally? Thanks so much. Yes, marital peace is more important than professional peace. Uh, that you, you do have to put your spouse first. But 
you and your spouse have to know what kind of road is coming. And it is brutal. Like I'm by this point, I'm just so annoyed with my wife's medical education. I can't even tell you. I can't wait until she's done. Literally, since we've been dating, she's been on this path. Uh, we've now been married for 10 years and we've been we've known each other for 11. Uh, and she's been in medical school, in residency, working for a lab or in college that entire time. Uh, that That is a long, long road. But the idea that you can have everything is not true. You just have to understand that both of you have to be giving, right? That it is her job to be giving toward you and it is your job to be giving toward her. Sometimes that means you have to drop off dinner at the office and you have to take off. And as much as you hate that, that's just the way it's going to go. Expectations are the killers of marriages. You expect things from your spouse and those things don't materialize and then you're mad and you're angry. Expectations in marriage should be low. Giving should be high. If your expectations are low, but your giving is high, you're going to have a great marriage. If your expectations are high, but your giving is low, you're going to be divorced in two years. Wyatt says, hey, Ben, what are some of the more underrated and overrated musicals? And what do you think often makes overrated works as popular as they are? Well, to me, the most overrated musical of the modern era is Hamilton. Uh, I know people love Hamilton. I've discussed this on the show before. Uh, I don't think it's bad. I just am not a fan of the type of music. And I think that the supposed brilliance of the lyrics uh, is overrated to me specifically because Great lyricism, to me, is about word choice, not about syllabic fit. Uh, and uh, and there, there are a lot of syllables in Hamilton. It seems easier to write patter as, as lyric to me uh, than to write a simple lyric that chooses the correct word. This is why, even with Sondheim's work, I think his lyric work in, in the song Pretty Women is better than his lyric work in some of his more kind of pyrotechnic uh, songs. Uh, as far as other overrated works... Um, I would say that, so Les Mis, I've always said, is highly overrated because it has a couple of good songs and then a lot of fluff, and the thing is nine hours long. It is just, it's just interminable. I mean, it's extraordinarily long. Uh, also, thank God they've rescored it for an orchestra. Originally, it was scored for a, for a synthesizer, and they didn't even use pedal tones, uh, which means that you didn't even have that tone underneath that actually gives you a grounding for, for the actual singer to, to move off of. It's, I think Les Mis is highly overrated. Obviously, Cats is overrated because Cats is just garbage. Uh, there are a bunch of, of really, really overrated musicals. Um, most of them have happened in the modern era. Most of them are sort of cheap knockoffs. Musicals have gotten significantly worse, in my opinion, over the past 30 years. Uh, Elise says, hi, Ben. When you're invited to college campuses and events, how do you prepare for your speeches? How do you decide what to speak about and how much of your speech is pre-written? Well, you know, I sort of decide to speak about based on what topic I'm interested in. Uh, and then I spend a fair bit of time actually researching the topic, trying to find all the different perspectives and trying to see what is true and what is not so that I know where weaknesses are in my own arguments. I would say that for every hour that I speak, I put 10 or 11 hours into, into reading uh, and writing about a particular issue before I speak about it. Uh, and if I don't know something, I'm happy to say that I don't know anything about it and I'd like to research it and get back to them. Uh, Daniel says, will Trey Gowdy replace Jeff Sessions as the next attorney general? Uh, well, I'm not sure Sessions is actually going anywhere in the near future simply because President Trump is afraid that it would look like obstruction, which is probably uh, a reasonable fear. Even though it's not obstruction, you can fire your attorney general at any time. Uh, I, I don't think Jeff Sessions is going anywhere. Stephen says, Dear God Emperor Shapiro, what is a good level of government regulation in healthcare? Uh, my answer to this is virtually none. I don't think the government should be deeply involved in healthcare regulation. I think free markets should take priority. I think that we have a tort system for a reason. And if you do something wrong in the medical field, you can be sued into the ground. Uh, the idea that we need a government in order to force a doctor to care for a patient properly, I just don't find that particularly convincing. I also think that people have come to rely on the government and think the government is their great guarantor of safety. So they, they always talk about the Food and Drug Administration. Well, you'd be eating tainted food if not for that. Really, would you? How many companies do you think would be forcibly attempting to you know, poison their consumers if, if it weren't for that? It turns out that in an era of particularly social media marketing, the ability to find out bad stuff about companies has never been higher. 
the market takes care of a lot of these particular issues. Plus, you'd have private rating agencies. I think the same thing would happen in the medical field. Veronica says, how do conservative women who have prioritized family over career go back and have a career? If I'd known that I'd be single at this age, I'd have just gone for the money uh, in the first place. Well, you know, I, I have always advocated for women to have the credentials to have a successful career because I think that you should be able to be financially independent at any point. It's why I plan on sending my daughter to college or as much education as she wishes to engage with. It's why I've always thought that it's great that my wife has gone through all this work at medical school because God forbid something should happen to me. I want her to be able to take care of herself and take care of the kids and feel fulfilled while doing it. Uh, so I think that the way to, to balance this stuff is different for everyone. Um, but I think at a minimum, you should have the job qualifications necessary to start working your way up from the bottom if need be, uh, if God forbid something happens and, and you're left bereft. Ryan says, our insurance company's really crooks. Should all insurance be nonprofit like Ben Carson posited in 2012? No, insurance companies are not crooks. Insurance companies uh, have a profit incentive just like every other company. And that means you really have to read insurance contracts carefully. It also means that you should have financial advisors who read the insurance con contracts for you if you can possibly afford it. And you should find the most transparent insurance companies that you can find. It's just that insurance companies with their profit incentive do have an incentive to push against you when you make a claim against insurance because that's how they make their money. But they're no more crooked than any other business that I could name. Profit incentives drive hard bargains. Hal says, Ben, how can we fairly vet refugees when their countries don't properly keep records? Well, this is a really difficult thing, right? It's, it's difficult to fairly vet refugees when their countries don't keep records, but it is not our obligation to take in refugees if we can't vet them. Uh, listen, I, I'm very sympathetic to people who are trying to flee their home countries. I really am. I think that we should try to take in people who want to come here and become Americans and engage in the American way of life and the American ideology. I think all of that's good, but the obligation is to prove that you're going to be a good American citizen. It's not on the American system to prove that you're not going to be a good American citizen. Right? Just like you would have to file an application to join any sort of club. Well, you have to file an application to join the American club, and I think that that is all perfectly reasonable. Uh, Let's see. A writes, Ben, is there any way possibly you can stop catcalling Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez? I can't believe the Daily Wire is about to have a Me Too moment. I know, I know. I have to stop offering to talk with people. It's just, it's just brutal. It's just terrible. Mason says, hey, Ben, my fiance and I are on the road to Iowa to see my grandfather before he passes from lung cancer. He's an ex-pastor turned devout atheist because of the way the church treated him. Do you have any advice on methods of discussion to help him see that God does exist and loves him? Mind you, he's very intelligent, well-read, and is a Carl Sagan fan as well. Love your show. Thank you for doing what you do. You strengthen my faith and my beliefs. Unbelievable. Unbelievably. Th thank you, Mason. That really means a lot to me. Um, you know, my, my chief argument against this argument that churches treat people badly and therefore God doesn't exist is people are bad. People do bad things. And to judge a, a, the idea of a creator on the basis of the fact that people are flawed seems to me bad logic. You can say this about any institution, any institution. There are terrible atheists. There are terrible religious people. There are terrible public school teachers. There are terrible priests. There are terrible rabbis. There are terrible people in every walk of life. And if your allegiance to a religion is based upon the behavior of the people who are participants in the religion, then I think that you ought to examine your religious beliefs a little bit more deeply. There, there's a case to be made for agnosticism or atheism, but I don't think it lies in the evils of human beings who are going to be evil to a certain extent, uh, regardless of, of what ideology they hold. The question really is, if you follow the injunctions of a particular ideology, does it make you better? And I think that it is very difficult to argue that Christians who actually abide by Christian beliefs are not made better people by doing so as a general rule, right? There are always exceptions, but as a general rule, Dennis Prager, I think, has a great test on this. If all you know about two people is that one is a regular churchgoer and one is not a regular churchgoer, that's all you know about these two people and one of them has to babysit your child, which one are you going to pick? That's uh, a pretty good test. Okay, Sayaz says, have you ever been 
to Disney World uh, or you only go to Disneyland. Yes, uh, a few years ago before my kids were born, my wife and I did a vacation down in Orlando. We went to Disney World uh, and it was great. Uh, uh, Disney is a wonderful company. Anthony says, hey, Ben, with all of the available data proving socialism does not work, how is it that the left continues to push socialism, I think is the end of that question. The answer is that they keep shifting which country they're basing socialism on. So their favorite this week is Norway, uh, which is a capitalist country with socialist redistributionist policies. Uh, they have heavy regulations in, in areas of banking. And then the real question they have to ask is, was the prosperity of Norway based on socialism or was it based on the capitalist infrastructure that was built before the advent of socialism in Norway? And that's a serious question because basically socialism redistributes the gains and kills the profit incentive. So it's not to say that socialist Structures can't exist on top of a capitalist growth curve, um, but it is to say that if you make the entire system socialist, you're likely to kill that growth curve, right? That is, that is the actual argument. Um, but there's an argument to be made that you know some socialist redistributionist programs are effective in achieving their results. They're not effective in achieving growth or in achieving the best possible product at the lowest available price. That, that is what socialist systems are not good for. Uh, M says, what is the legality requirements of private companies using public infrastructure? Are companies on public land subject to First Amendment rights? And would that not apply to internet companies? Well, the idea of regulating certain companies as public utilities, which is, I think, what you're asking about here, um, public utilities are utilities that are required to give a particular service for a particular price at any, at, at any level, basically. Uh, and if they are private companies that have a profit motive, they're not run in the same way as public utilities. They're not owned by the, by the government themselves. Uh, simply being adjacent to a road does not make you a public utility. And even using that road, if you are a trucking company, does not make you a public utility either because you're a private company that is paying taxes for the building of that infrastructure. Okay, this is the last question. Let's see. Daniel says, hey, Ben, uh, I am excited to go to your live show next week in Phoenix. What is your opinion regarding the Supreme Court's ruling that states can collect sales taxes from online retailers? Uh, thanks and Shabbat Shalom. Uh, so my opinion is that states probably can collect sales taxes from online real retailers this is really uh, a jurisdictional question. The, the nexus of business is the way that it's usually done in civil procedure. Is your business basically doing a lot of business in the state? Is it located within the state? There's sort of a balancing test that goes on, if I remember my Civ Pro correctly. Uh, and if you are doing your business in the state of California, it seems not unreasonable for the state of California to charge that sales tax. Do I oppose the charging of the sales tax? Yes, because one of the great things about living uh, in a country with a free and open internet is the fact that I don't have to pay a sales tax on every equation. However, it does give an advantage to internet companies as opposed to brick and mortar stores. Right? That's, that's the real argument in favor of a sales tax on internet companies. Okay, so we'll be, uh, so you know, let's do a thing I like and a thing I hate. Almost forgot. And then we will be back here uh, on Monday. So things I like. So over this, the course of this week, I had a chance to see the new uh, Mission Impossible movie, and it really is a lot of fun. Here is what the preview looked like of the new Mission Impossible film. The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. You had a terrible choice to make in Berlin. One life over millions. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. If he had held on to the plutonium, we wouldn't be having this conversation. This team so would be really, dead. this movie exists yes, to have a bunch of fantastic would. action set pieces. So the plot is okay. The twist comes about halfway through, and it's not really much of a twist. Um, but and and Henry Cavill is predictably kind of stolid in his role. I actually like Henry Cavill better as a villain than as a hero, as a general rule, just because he is so stolid in his approach to acting, and so. You, can, you sort of feel like maybe there's something simmering under the surface, even when there's not. Uh, so, the, but, the, but the movie's great to look at. It's got a couple of sequences that are just fantastic. It has one of the best 
action sequences that I, I've seen in the recent past. Uh, and it's it the entire sequence is basically Tom Cruise running through Paris. It's just great. Uh, but it's it's pretty it's pretty great in terms of a popcorn flick. It is a pure popcorn flick. I mean, you just go to the theater, you tune out everything, and you watch a bunch of great action scenes. So it's it's really good. Go check out Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, which is one of the better of the Mission Impossible movies. Okay, uh, now let's do a couple of things that I hate. So Chuck Schumer says that Roe versus Wade ought to be upheld because it's part of the fabric of American life. This is, I think, a terrible, terrible argument. I think what it is, is people, we've had Roe for so long and it's been so much the part and fabric of American life that people think, well, no matter who's on the court, it'll pretty much stay where it is. I don't think that's accurate. Okay, so the idea that everything is part of the fabric of American life and therefore cannot change obviously did not hold with slavery or segregation, nor should it have. Uh, the idea that abortion is part of the fabric of everyday life does not mean that you uphold a bad judicial decision because something has become embedded in American life. If that were the argument, then you wouldn't be able to change anything in American life, and that, of course, would be very, very silly. Okay, other things that I hate. So Samantha B, who, again, has run away with the title of least funny human being, uh, on, on Full Frontal with Samantha B, uh, she had one of her folks follow around Sean Spicer on his book tour uh, to sort of mock him. Now, I don't remember anybody in the media doing this with regard to Ben Rhodes, even though Ben Rhodes is as dishonest or more dishonest than Sean Spicer in his approach to politics. But this is all very funny, funny, because you're following around a former member of the Trump administration. We join him on the first leg of his book tour, starting in New York. The scene was electric. I have one, I have one. How do you feel about profiting off of lying to the American public? I mean, you're making a lot of money. I'm just wondering how you feel about that. That evening, we followed him to another event at the Rhode Island Country Club. So much humor. Okay, I, I'm just, this is, this is the part of comedy that I hate, is that it's not comedy, it's, it's clapter, right? It's not, it's not laughter, it's clapter, that you, you clap, and then you sort of laugh because you're clapping. Um, but nothing here is inherently funny. Uh, the comedians have decided that all they have to do is basically shout Trump to the moon, and then everybody will give them money. And so far, it's been working out well for them. And there's this whole Netflix special, and I can't remember the name of the woman who was doing it, um, but there are all these articles about why she was changing the nature of comedy by being unfunny. And the answer was that she was angry, so she was unfunny, and, but she was on the left, so that was good. The, the destruction of comedic standards simply because you hate President Trump is pretty dramatic and pretty, and pretty silly. Uh, her, yeah, her name was uh, Nanette, I guess, right? That's the that's name of that, that special on Netflix. It's, uh, it's not good. Let's just put it that way. Okay, so we'll be back here on Monday with all of the latest. We'll see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, and our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Ingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee. 
Just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let PureTalk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 